Thanks for listening to this sermon from the Image Church. Find out more about us and our weekly services at imagejesus.com. Really good to be here. I kind of feel like um, today's kind of like a TRL takeover. Do y'all remember that? It's like the main guys are gone and you get fourth string. But it's like you listen to a morning show on the radio and then someone's like, I'm going to play all my songs today because it's my day. So... Welcome. This is your first time. This will probably be the last time you hear it like this. So, uh, okay. So recently, we've been doing this series. It's called Hungry and Satisfied. It's kind of like, uh, how can you be both? Um, And I don't know necessarily if we've actually gone into, like, what it means to be hungry and to be satisfied and what the implications of that is in our life in, in the Bible. Um, the way we actually learn that is through a thing called context. I'm a big context guy. That makes me sound like a huge nerd. Um, but it's like, if someone comes up to me and says, hey, this guy made a three-pointer, it was cool, I'd be like, great. But if someone else says, hey, Steph Curry hit a game winner at the buzzer, fireworks went off, and he didn't even look at the basket, he just walked off and pointed to the sky, I'd be like, I wish that was me. Uh, <laughs> Like, context gives us a better understanding of what's going on. So some context about me. This past week, um, I had a week intensive in school, which means every night from 5.30 to 9.30, I was in school, and all day Saturday. And every night, they gave us a topic that we'd have to write a paper for for the next night. So that happened this week. Um, And it was crazy. It it was difficult, because then I'm trying to, like, prepare a sermon and look into this stuff. Um, So, you know, for me, I was like trying to like, I wrote the sermon, but it didn't really connect to me. It just seemed like a paper I wrote for school. And I felt like, this is terrible. I I feel almost embarrassed to like go over this uh, with you guys. So this week, I was just trying to shake things out. I was like painting a lot, like almost like anger, like artist painting, like throwing paint at the thing. Um, Me and my wife, we tried to learn the Fetty Wap dance Friday night. No. <laughs> anyway, it doesn't matter. If you don't know what that dance is, you're better off for it. Anyway, so I was like, hey, what's up? Hello? Anyway. <laughs> no, nah, I didn't. I'm sorry. Uh, but yeah, it also got me thinking about, you know, you guys coming into the room too. Like, um, man, we're all over the map. Even just hearing people pray this morning beforehand. I was uh, walking around the building this morning, talking to some guys out here, and People are just all over, like with the relationship with God, with their family, with their jobs, just relationships in general. Like we're all just, I mean, you can pick a, a, an incident in life that happens and someone in this room is dealing with it right now. So it kind of gets me more aware that everyone in here, what we really need We need to know the gospel, and we need to believe the gospel, and we want to hear the gospel. And so today, that's what we're going to do. And before we jump in, I'm going to give you some context about the text. There's three things that you should probably know. Here's a sentence that I want you to remember. The Beatitudes kick off the Sermon on the Mount and provide wisdom and a model for new citizens in the kingdom of God to live. There's three words I want us to like really try to know. The kingdom of God, Sermon on the Mount, 
in the Beatitudes. Now, before this thing happens, where we are in Matthew, we see that Jesus, he, I don't even know if y'all remember the last time I preached, it almost I preached on what happened right before the Beatitudes, so it's a huge lead into it. But Jesus is basically, he's baptized, the Spirit comes down on him, the Father says, this is my son who I'm well pleased, and he's like driven out into the wilderness, and he overcomes temptation and Satan, and he comes back, and he announces that, you know, the kingdom of God is here, I'm, it's coming right now, and I don't think we talk about the kingdom of God a lot, because if someone said the kingdom of God is here to you guys, or to me, I'd be like, I don't, what does that, what does that mean? Who cares? But to Jews back then, everything that they were hoping for was the day that someone said the kingdom of God is here. This is, they were just waiting for hundreds and hundreds of years. Because in the Bible, it starts with God creating man, creating the earth, everything in perfect union. Our first parents broke that union. And then God put in a rescue plan and he put it over time to a specific moment in time for him to come rescue us. So like all of the forefathers from Noah, Abraham, um, Moses, and David, there's promises that God's coming to rescue his people, even though we've fallen away from him. And all the prophets are talking about there's going to be a day when a Messiah, a king, a savior is coming. You just have to wait for that day. And so it started off with some descendants God's bringing in, and he built it into a, a nation, and then he's going to build it into people from every tongue, tribe, and nation in the world, his new kingdom. And, G, or, and God said that there's going to be a stone that comes that wipes away every other nation and kingdom, and from it, a huge mountain is going to grow up, and this mountain's going to take over the whole world, and this is going to be the kingdom of God. It's going to be everlasting, and it's never, ever, ever going to end. And so Jesus is saying that rock is here and we're starting that new kingdom right now. So from that moment, Jesus, if you start a kingdom, what do you need? People. So he goes over, tells some people, Don't, you wanna be fishers of men, come with me. So he gets some disciples, he's going into Galilee, he's doing signs, miracles, he's healing people, he's proclaiming that the kingdom of God is here now and everyone's losing their minds. And that leaves us right up into chapter five in Matthew. So chapter five is the beginning of what we call the Sermon on the Mount. You guess what it is? It's a sermon on a mount. And it's not that complicated. But what is the purpose for Jesus to be speaking literally three chapters? He's speaking the whole time. What is he saying to us? And what's cool about this is the Sermon on the Mount, it's kind of like, it's like Jesus' magnus opus. This is like his bestseller, greatest hit, quadruple platinum, like everything all at once. Like this is his money talk. And we don't really see it like that. We just see like, oh, there's another time Jesus is talking. This is cool. Um, but Jesus is basically outlining. He's like, there's people now. He's outlining what it's like to be in the kingdom of God. The whole three chapters from five through seven is telling us what it's like to be in the kingdom of God. Um, so, and it's not even telling us like exactly what to do, but it's just how to exist. Because I think it's important for us to know that sometimes we're like, oh, I became a Christian, I'm forgiven. 
and then we just kind of sit there. But we don't know that there's like, we're actually introduced into a new kingdom and we have purpose and we have design and we have meaning and it's to, it's to build this mountain of a kingdom. It's to invite people in. It's to actually do good. And it's, it's opposite of everything else that we've ever known here on earth. At the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount is a thing called the Beatitudes. Now the Beatitudes are eight declarations that Jesus, has made, or Jesus makes. The first three are about those who depend on God. The second three are about those who live for God. And the last two are about those who are persecuted. We've gone over the first five. I believe this is a six. So this is talking about someone who's living for God. Okay. That was a long introduction. I get it. But I do think it's important for us to remember that the Beatitudes, they kick off the Sermon of the Mount. And the whole reason they exist is to provide wisdom and a model for the new citizens of the kingdom to live. Because if you've been here for a while, I've heard you ask, I know I've heard you ask, I'm a Christian, what do I do? And for the longest time, we say, we're not going to tell you what to do. And mainly that's because a lot of us are still under this religious workspace, like, tell me what to do so I can be closer to God. But that's not reality. But another reality is God is calling us into something better than what we're in right now. So when Jesus saw the crowd, he ascended a mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. What do we see in this very first part of chapter five at the beginning of the Beatitudes? Jesus saw a crowd, and he ascended a mountain. Does that seem like Jesus is going towards the crowd? No, he sees a crowd, and he goes up to a mountain, and then he sits down, and who comes to him? The crowd? No, the disciples come to him. So I think there's a very clear, distinguished line between the crowd versus disciples. The crowd, is, are, they're people that are interested in Jesus. They're like, man, he's cool. I'd like to know a little bit more. A disciple is someone who's a follower of Jesus. And I say that in a way that they have like heard his call drop their whatever they have, and they're following Jesus. And so there's a very big distinction. And in this room right now, if you're here, you're either part of the crowd or you're a disciple and you're a follower. And I, if I'm so bold to say, I'm sure some of the people in here that think they're disciples probably aren't because they don't know what, it's, what it means to count the cost to follow Jesus and really let everything go and say, Jesus, you are my one hope in this life. So this sets, the, this sets the whole thing up. He's on the mountain. Disciples are coming to him. He's speaking to the disciples. We should recognize that. This isn't for the crowd. This is for the people that are following him because the disciples, the one following him, are in his kingdom. So they're the ones that need to hear what it means to be in the kingdom. So we're going to jump right to this beatitude today. It's... Um, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. When we were talking a while ago about the Beatitudes, um, where were we? We were in the Jacksonville Library, and we were reading through them, me, Matt, Jay, and Chuck. And this one right here, we got to it, and everyone's like, what does pure in heart mean? That just, that seems weird. And they're like, okay, we'll just give it to Jeremy. I'm like, 
Cool, guys. Glad, glad that happened. Um, so I got this one. And so I've really had to, this week, really think about this. I mean, what do you guys think? When you read this, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. What does that make you think? What was that? You can say it. What did you say? Mm, that's awesome. If I just read it out, like, flat out, I'm like, man, I don't think I'll ever see God. That's what I'm thinking. I'm like, well, hopefully someone takes pictures. That's blasphemous. I don't know. I shouldn't say that. <laughs> but I'm probably never going to see him. Um, so that was, like, my overall, like, what I was thinking that, I don't know. I'm like, I'm confused. I don't know how to... To view this. Um, so the first thing I did was I looked up the word blessed. I've heard blessed used like so many times, and I technically I don't know exactly what it means. And in, in Greek, there's two words that mean blessed. One of the words means it's, um, it basically, it's, it's used in a prayer for God to send to you, to an individual, to a community. So it's like asking God to put a blessing on you. It's like when we say bless my children, right? Or bless the sick. You want uh, an actual tangible blessing to come down on them. This is not the word that's used here. So it's not a wish or trying to like invoke something. Um, this is basically emphasizing, I'm gonna tie my shoe while I'm talking. Hopefully it's not distracting. Um, it's basically a like state of happiness that's already present. This is, a, this is a big deal. It doesn't sound like a big deal, but it's actually a big deal. And the reason why it's important, because this is saying this is right now, right here in front of you, like a blessed state is for you right now. If it was the other word, we'd be saying, blessed people do this so that they get that. And when you do that, you're saying, if you do this, you get that, which is works. And that's not the gospel. This is more saying, look at the sheer joy of these people because they are going to get this or they have this. They're already happy. Now, I have two examples about this. Like, because for me, I need examples to tell me what that actually means. So imagine you're in a raft. You literally are dying. You've uh, survived a plane wreck, which you were happy about at first. But now it's been 45 days. Blistering, you're like, I'm gonna die out here in the ocean. It's just a matter of time, I don't know. And then all of a sudden, you look up, and in the distance, you just see land. <laughs> right? What, in that moment, what are you thinking? Oh. Glory! You know, I don't know. I'm just thinking... Oh, no, yes. You know, all these things, like, so excited. I'm so happy that there is a chance, right? That, you know, and there's some blessedness in that state. I haven't gotten to the island. But right in this moment, I am so excited that I know the island's there. And, I, and there's some current blessingness in that. Like, right now, the tide's pulling me in, so I don't even have to worry about it. I'm actually seeing birds, fish. If a bird gets too close to my raft, I'm just kidding. 
Uh, <laughs> not that desperate. Maybe I would be. I don't know. So the point is, it's like you get to experience now, but not in full yet. So this is kind of like the kingdom of God. We're in the kingdom of God now, but it's growing. So we get to experience it now, the blessings of it, but it's not in full yet, okay? This is good news. This is really good news. Um, if you've never been stranded on a raft, I'll give you another example. Um, her name is, what is it, Ivy Blue Carter. I don't know if you've heard of her. Um, you could say this. Blessed is Ivy Blue Carter because she will inherit the empire. Now, what do I mean by that? Is she working to inherit everything that Miss Bay and Jay have done? No, she's not. Will she get it? Yes, because she was born into it. Does she currently get benefit and have a happy and secure life because that's right there in front of her? Yes. And she doesn't even have it in full yet. So this is kind of where we are when you're in the kingdom of God. We, we get the full inheritance, it's to come. But even then, we can be happy about that. But even right now, we get to experience some of the blessing. Okay? All right. So that's kind of where we are with the word blessed. So we just need to keep remembering. It's the now, but not yet. But don't forget it's the now. All right. Now let's look at the end. For they will see God. Does anyone actually see God? No, I was blasphemous earlier saying someone should take a picture of God. Because if you see God as a mere mortal, I don't know, you like turn into like sand and instantly drop. I don't know. But crazy stuff happens. Because no one can literally with their eyeballs see God. Right? So what is it saying for they will see God? When I say, you see what I mean? What am I saying? You know what I mean? You understand what I mean? Seeing is understanding in Hebrew culture. Seeing is knowing, which is a very interesting concept, right? That to see someone is to know them. And it talks about this in the Bible. In uh, John chapter 6, there's a, there's a man who was born blind. And Jesus comes up to him, spits in the dirt, rubs it, puts it on his eyes, and he can see. And, you know, there's the rumblings around town, like, who's this Jesus guy from the religious leaders? And they come up to him like, were you born blind? And he's like, yes. And they're like, how were you able to see? And he's like, a man named Jesus. And they're like, uh, we don't believe that because up until that point, no one had ever healed someone that was born blind. There had been reports and incidents before where someone had went blind and got their sight back, but no one in recorded history had ever given someone their sight that was born blind. So this is making the religious people lose their minds. So like, okay, we're gonna go talk to this guy's parents. This, there's no way this happens. So they go to the parents, they're like, is this your son? They're like, yes. Like, was he born blind? And they're like, yes. I'm like, well... <laughs> Did Jesus do that to him? And they're like, I don't know, he can speak for himself. And they're like, okay, we're gonna go to his neighbors. And when they get to the neighbors, something interesting happens. They go to the neighbors and it's like, do you know this man? Is this the man that was blind, who's lived here his whole life? And some of the neighbors said, yes, that's him. Others of the neighbors said, no, but it looks kind of like him. 
things that would make you think like, why, what are the neighbors, why they do that? Well, sometimes the people who are like low in society get looked right over. So these people, this guy was here his whole life, but they never knew him because they never saw him. And we can apply that even here right now into Jacksonville. There's a lot of people in Jacksonville that refuse to know things about what's happening in the city because they refuse to see them. So some people do that out of ignorance. Other people don't want to be held responsible because once you see it, you know it, and you are held like, accountable for that. So it's not just ignorance like, I, I didn't see it, so I don't know. It's more like I'm refusing to engage in the issues in our schools, in our juvenile system. Like there's so, there's so many different ways that works out. And it's really like hit me hard this week. Like what am I not seeing that's right in front of me? What am I refusing to acknowledge right in front of me? Because it's very easy to skim over the top and not engage be self-focused. That's what sin is. Like when there's Adam and Eve and God, they went from worshiping God to like looking at themselves. And that's what we all do when we sin. So it was challenging to me. Um, But I do believe one thing, that if you're in this room today, you want to know God. Like, we like to know things about God. We like to hear what God's doing in other people's lives, in our city, in our country, in our world. But we are all desperate to know God. We want to know him that if he is real and the Bible's true, God, we want to know you. You say you're a relational God, we want to know you. You say that You'll fill me with peace and patience and forgiveness. I want to know that. I want to know that. Um, This beatitude promises that some of these people will know that. For they will see God. For they will know God. Knowing God is possible. And it's not just will in the future. They'll know it now and even more in the future. So who are the people that can actually know God? Who are the blessed people right now? They're blessed because they know God and they'll know him even far more in the future. It says people are pure in heart. So what in the world does pure in heart mean? Um, Hearing pure in heart back in the day when Jesus said this would have made rabbis really scratch their head. Um, they, rabbis, you see, they were really focused on the external. Like they did all the commandments, they did everything right, so they knew they were good with God. But Jesus has just stepped it up a level and he's like, you don't even need to be pure on outside. You also need to be pure on your inside. Like no bad motives, no evil thoughts, no cursing people out in your mind. I mean, we can go on and on and on what that could look like. And it's hard because you see it today in like 
kind of Southern culture, people will be like, um, who's been to a church where they go, hey, you gotta stop doing this. You need to start doing this. Get your act together. You're not doing good enough. Step it up. Like, I hear that a lot. Like, that's the underlying current. One time I was in a, I just became a Christian. This almost made me not a Christian. Uh, I was in this congregation and it was like 600 college students. And this guy was up on stage and he was mad about something. I don't know. But he was obviously mad. And he just got to the point where he was like, hey, just stop sinning. That's literally what he said. (laughs) And I remember I was sitting, I just stood up. I looked around. No one was walking out. So I kind of just slid back down like, maybe I missed something. (laughs) But that's what he said. He said, just stop sinning. And then I was like, oh, light bulb, never since since. Um, <laughs> why did anyone ever tell me that before? Um, but that's kind of like the sense I get sometimes. And it's like, well, let's just say this. The Hebrew word for heart, when we think of heart, we think of feelings. The Hebrew word means everything internal. So your mind, your feelings, your soul, like Everything on the inside, that represented your heart. <clears throat> so what I'd like to explore is what this man named Soren Kierkegaard, he's Danish. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of Soren before, but Tony Iope named his son after this man. That's why his name's Soren. But Soren Kierkegaard, uh, it's fun, you should try saying it. I'll wait, Kierkegaard? You gotta give a good Danish push. Anyway, um, he said... An interesting thing. He said, um, purity of heart means to will one thing. And because I'm not that smart, this man just broke it down. And I'm like, I need someone to break it down again because I don't know what to will one thing means. And basically your will is your decision-making portion of your life. Um, When you will to do something, you are deciding you're gonna do that. And I know some people in here think, well, What's the difference between the head, the head, the heart, and the will? How are those three separate things? Because sometimes I just gather all the information logically and make a decision. That doesn't seem like that's the will. Or I'm in love with this person, so I'm asking them on a date. I've been in love with them for 15 years, and I'm finally asking them on a date. That's like an emotion leading to a decision. And it was hard for me too. I'm like, how is the will different than the head and the heart? So uh, there's two examples that I thought about this week, and I was like, that's good. So the first one is, imagine someone going in the hospital, right? They love fried chicken and they love ribs more than anything else in the world. I'm not saying this because Matt Jensen's not here, but hope he listens to this later. So he goes into the hospital and then the doctor says, hey, you know, um, you have really clogged arteries and you're going to die in a year if you don't stop eating this food. That person in their head understands, the doctor explains to them like, okay, if I keep eating it, it keeps getting clogged, blood won't flow through, I will literally die. In their heart, it's played on their emotions because the doctor's like, you need to stop eating this because you won't see your son graduate, you won't see your daughter get married, so you need to stop. So they understand the feelings of loss, but then when they leave, they keep deciding to eat what they want to eat. 
And I'm not making this up as an example. Like, hospitals keep records of this stuff. Like, when they see someone's getting, like, dying from a habit that they're doing, and they explain logically why it's bad, and they explain to their heart what they'll be missing, 90% of the time, people continue to do the thing anyway. Their will, what they decide to do, is different from their mind and their heart. Which actually gives a lot of insight for me, personally. But here's a second example. So there's a country, I think, called uh, Bereno. It's in the South Seas. Probably no one's ever heard of it. But there's a city there that had a, a monkey problem. And it was like flooded with monkeys. And it was really making everyone there mad because they couldn't catch these monkeys. You know, I don't know if you ever try to catch a monkey. It's difficult. <laughs> Trust me. Another time. Anyway, so the monkeys are everywhere. These people can't catch them. And they come up with this ingenious, ingenious idea. I don't know how they thought of this. But they took a coconut. They drilled it out. And they put a banana in there. But the hole was only big enough for the monkey's hand. And then they deadbolted it to a tree with a chain. And they just left it. And what they saw was monkeys would come up to the coconut, see a banana in it, put their hand in, grab the banana, and not be able to get their hand out. And they would freak out. So they'd be freaking out, crying out. They're not, not doing anything inhumane to them, but just trying to get the banana. They would come back the next morning, and the monkey would be laying on the ground from exhaustion, still holding the banana. And they would just pick him up, put him in the zoo. This, this is a true story. And when I hear that story, I'm like, man, it is really hard to let things go and follow Christ. There are things that it just seems so simple. Like, if I just let that go, things would be better. But I refuse to let it go. Um, when I was in high school, uh, you know, I basically had one thought that always went through my mind. It was, I will be remembered. And that's true. I thought I wasn't the smartest person at my school. I definitely wasn't the richest person at my school. I wasn't the best looking, and I wasn't the most athletically gifted. But my compensation for that is I will do whatever it takes to be remembered. And I will be remembered. I mean, it was so exhausting. I didn't know it at the time because I didn't know anything else, but it was so exhausting, always trying to do things to get people's attention and be remembered. Um, and then, you know, I got to college and someone told me, they said, basically in this way, you know, you keep trying to be remembered, but Jesus already remembered you on the cross. So you don't have to be remembered by anyone else because the reason, Je I mean, Jesus remembering you is better than anyone else ever knowing you. And it, I was like, man, yes. So in that moment when I understood that, I was like, I'm not willing myself and making all my decisions on basing, basing to be remembered, but now I want to follow Jesus because he remembered me. But guess what? I still struggle with that sometimes. On different, on different areas. It's like, I want to be known. I want to be remembered. And so I still fight through that. So even though, like, God has rescued me from that, 
I still see that banana sometimes. I'm like, it's pretty tempting. I just, just really, if someone knew, oh. But that's kind of like where I am. So my question to you guys is, do you want the newness of Christ, or the newness of life in Christ more than what you were dragging around before? I want you to really think about this. I'm gonna read it again. Do you want the newness of life in Christ more than what you were dragging around before? Because at the end of the day, we're all goodwill hunting. I know that's a sermon title, I just worked it in. But we are goodwill hunting. We are desperate. We are desperate to try to find something good. All of our decisions are based on trying to find something good. And usually, it's good for ourselves. So I, I would like to talk to the two groups of people in here now. So there's people in here right now who are part of the crowd. You're interested in Jesus. You want to know about Jesus. You think he's cool. You think some people in here are nice and they've like warm and inviting. Um, I just want you to know that you have a will. It's true. You actually get to decide things. That's a, a blessing that God's given us. And on your own, you cannot decide just to follow God. You can't, you can't decide, I'm going to know God. I'm going to you know, have one intent. I'm going to have a purified heart and know God. And the reason is there's, there's blood on your hands. You can't clean yourself up. The crowds are the ones that shouted for Jesus to go to death. And we were all part of that crowd. So what you have to understand is there's been a great exchange for you guys. So Jesus came down in the rescue plan and he lived out this perfect life on your behalf. And he took all of his righteousness and he noticed all of your sin and he did this thing called a great exchange. He gave you all of his righteousness and he took all of your sin. That's already happened. It's not like something we're hoping for. It's something that's in the past. It's happened. And we just have to come to do a decision of, do you believe that's true? Um, you know, speaking for other people here who are believers in Jesus and followers of Jesus, like, we know what it feels like to have nobody and then God providing us a family. We know what it's like to be um, left dead in the water and then God providing us an island. We know what it's like to be trapped where we are, where we can't escape, yet God still sent a rescue plan. Um, we know what it's like to be orphaned. I said that, I think. But we just know what it's like to have nothing. And if you're at the end of your rope and you feel like you have nothing, you have to recognize that God wants to give you the greatest eternal inheritance and give you everything. All he asks is that you put away the old and come believe in him and follow him. God puts a call on all of our lives. I really believe that. Everyone in here at some point or another, God is literally very clearly gonna say something to you and gonna give you a call. And are you willing to recognize that do I believe that what God's calling me to is better than what I have right now? Because a lot of us are like those monkeys, still holding on to the banana. And we just like, 
No, I don't think so. And if you're a disciple of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, this has been something that's um, been really helpful to me. Some of us in here don't really believe that there's something better for us. Like we believe that we've been forgiven. We believe that God's good, but we don't believe there's like an active part to play now moving forward. We think becoming a Christian is the end point, but it's actually the beginning. Once you accept Jesus, that's the beginning of a new life. And you get to be a part of building a new community, God's community here on earth. That's gonna eventually take over the whole earth. And what's amazing about this community is it's good. And let me say this, it will be perfect. It's a big mess right now. So I don't wanna give your hopes up and think when you're coming in, everything's gonna be great and perfect. It's not because we're in the now, but not yet. We're still struggling with sin. We're still in a broken world, but God is redeeming things. So, you know, we say here a lot like, I'm broken. We are all broken. But I also want you to know, you're not unfixable. And I, I feel like I haven't heard that in a long time. We're all broken. And if you don't think you are, there's a lot there that you don't understand yet. You are extremely broken, every single one of us. But God says we're not unfixable. You know, Jay likes to say, we're grimy scumbags. That's true. But we're not unredeemable. Because that's also true. And so I think a lot of us, we get paralyzed because we think, yes, God saved me, but I'm still not where I want to be. I'm still struggling with stuff I used to struggle with. But the good news is, God is working in you. He's creating something new in you. He's giving you a new heart, a new life, a new community with new sets of like disciplines and just wanting to have your good in mind. He set everything up for your good. So if you're here today and you're thinking, one, either I want to be in this community, I want to have new life, I, I want to be known and loved by God. That's possible. You can know God today. And we would love to pray for you after the service. But if you're here and you're thinking, man, I love Jesus. I've given my life to him, but I don't know what that means. We're also here and we want to talk to you about what it means to be all in for Jesus's mission here on earth. We're just one church in the city and one city in the state and yada, 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 going out. But if you're in the body of Christ, we all have a common good and a common goal. And a lot of times we get caught up seeing the temporal, what's right in front of us, and we forget the eternal. And when we only see what's right in front of us, we don't act and move like there's an eternity happening, that there's a much bigger picture happening we only see what's right in front of us. And we make our decisions based off that. Like our will is pushing towards, oh, there's this thing I gotta worry about, there's this thing I gotta do, this show I gotta watch, which there's some great things. But we, if we have an eternal perspective and we're willing one thing, we're deciding that whatever it takes, we know that God's good and we are going to follow Jesus wherever he leads us, wherever the spirit is moving us. We're gonna see real transformation because we're gonna know God. 
And you keep driving and you keep knowing. And sometimes you'll make decisions where you don't wanna know God. But I believe that if you're a follower, God has you and he's gonna keep pushing you forward. And you know, we're children of the king and there's a lot of work to do here in Jacksonville. And that's the fact. So I think as we start to believe that more, I don't know, I just, I really feel like Chuck Fields and Jay and Matt and a lot of people here that God's doing something in the city, but we have to actually believe that we have a part in it. And are we willing to recognize God's goodness, come to him as servants and be like, God, whatever you want, we're ready to do. Let's pray. Lord, we know that our heart is deceitful above all else. We know that our mind is foolish. And even still, God, you have given us new life. You have given us Jesus. And you desire for us to be a part of what you're doing. And not only just a part of it, you just want to have us. You want us. You, you want us to rest with you to sit with you and to be with you. Please help us remember that. When we cry out, remember me, O Lord, that's, that's the only thing we can ask of you. But we ask that you keep continuing to do a great motion and movement in people's hearts here. And the people that don't know Jesus, that it becomes more clear that all other things in this world will not satisfy, that their heart will never rest until it finds rest in thee. We're very, very thankful that we get to be a part of everything you're doing. And we love the fact that you've given us meaning and purpose in an otherwise meaningless and purposelessness world. Everything goes back to dirt except for things that you build and the people that you redeem and rescue. Amen. So we're gonna do communion. Um, when, you know what the will of God is? What was, if we're talking about the will, and that means like the decision of God, what was the will of God? He decided that everyone here on earth was worth him sending his son to die for. He made that decision. It did not make logical sense. And feeling, he probably didn't feel like that because he's, his creation is constantly rejecting him. But the will of God was that he sent his son to die for us so that we could be with him. So when we do communion, we actually remember that this is Jesus' body broken for us on the cross and if you're a follower of Jesus, you get to come up and you get to reflect on what the Spirit is doing in you right now. Reflect on who Jesus is, reorienting your life on like, is there anything that you're willing and you're desiring more than God? And if you're not a Christian, this is one of the sacraments Christians do. So I ask that you just stay in your seat and you think to yourself, the question I had earlier, do you want to keep dragging around what you're dragging around? Or are you willing to let it go and follow the only thing that any of us here have known to give us life?